The following audio is from Christian Heritage Church. More information about Christian Heritage Church is available at chctoday.com. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. Last week I began this message about allowing the power of God to flow through your life in the marketplace, being a witness at work. We talked about the fact that sociologists now tell us that actually our workplace is now our neighborhood. Because many in America no longer know the people that live on the right or on the left, but we all know those that we work with. So that's our new neighborhood. It's our Jerusalem. And we have a responsibility as believers to take the gospel to those in our Jerusalem. Matter of fact, if you will study the scriptures and the life of Jesus, of he had 152, 32, pardon me, public appearances, 122 of those were in a marketplace setting. Of the 52 parables that Jesus told to his disciples and those who were listening to him, 45 of those had a workplace context. There were 40 recorded miracles through the book of Acts, and 39 of those were in the marketplace. When you look at Jesus, his entire adult life was spent in the marketplace. He worked as a carpenter until he became a preacher. And when you look at the individuals he called, those 12 disciples, every one of those 12 came out of the marketplace. They were not priests or Levites or rabbis. They were fishermen and tax collectors. They were from the workplace, the marketplace. So we need to understand if the Lord placed so much priority upon influencing the marketplace, you and I should as well. I mentioned to you last week that now we are the new moral outlaws in American culture, according to Al Mohler. And we understand that standing up today for historic Christian values can get you in trouble, sometimes socially, sometimes economically, and in the future, it could even be legally. It could get you in trouble. It's ironic to me that Christians are told to be quiet about your religion in the workplace, yet at the same time are losing jobs and promotions because of their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to touch these six principles very quickly that allows us to live in a very real culture that's opposed and hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. First, and we talked about this last week, we need to remember that the church exists to work for supernatural change. Everything we do should be about allowing the power of God to flow in and through our lives. For you see, if we're working from our own abilities, from our own intellect, from our own education, from our own background, we're no different than anyone else. We're the same as every other program or agenda that's out there. But when you and I tune into the Holy Spirit and begin to flow with Him, then we begin moving in a vein that the world has not seen. That vein is the supernatural power of a risen Christ. And we talked about Acts chapter 1 through chapters 10 and how God moved in and through those disciples. I believe we're living in a time when Christians must know deep inside of you that the work of the church is and always has been, always will be supernatural. See, the church isn't built through programs and plans and promotions. It's built on the power of the Holy Ghost moving in and through you and me. The only thing that will change the life of a man is the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing conviction and a desire to change. Listen, there has never been a time in history when the culture of that period had a desire to repent. Same is true today. Our culture has no desire. The only way they will ever turn and change is through an encounter with a holy, a righteous, and a powerful God. 
And whether this is good or bad, that holy, righteous, and powerful God has chosen to use you and me as the vessels through which his power is displayed. So it's up to you and I to tune into him and be a part of what God is doing. So when we consider this, let me put all the naysayers to rest right now. People are saying, well, it's never been harder for the church. It's never been more difficult. It's never been more challenging for the church of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you understand we are called for a supernatural existence, that people may encounter a supernatural God, then it doesn't matter what's going in our culture. It doesn't affect what we do any whatsoever. I'm here to tell you, it's no harder today than it was 20 years ago. It's no harder today than it was 50 years ago. It's no harder today than it was 2,000 years ago for the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're not driven by pressure from the outside. We're driven by power from the inside. The Holy Ghost moves through our life. And if we stop trying to do the works of God in the power and the intellect and the education and the experience of man and simply do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, then we have 0% change in the difficulty of our job. It's just the same. So get off that pity party. Quit whining and complaining because the government is against you or that person at work is against you and start living in the power of the Holy Ghost. He'll make a difference in your life and the life of those around you. So number two, let's look at it very quickly. We also need to remember persecution is normal for the church of Jesus Christ. I'm waiting for everybody to leave. Nobody? Okay, well then I'm going to give you the whole load this morning. You see, we have been soft-pedaled for so long that everybody ought to love us, everybody ought to agree with us, everybody ought to think we're wonderful. I've got news for you. The devil doesn't like you. His henchmen don't like you. Their goal and their desire is to destroy you. Persecution is normal for the church of Jesus Christ, and we need to understand that. In Acts chapter 5, it's a great story. We didn't get to it last week, so let me very briefly recap it for you. Ananias and Sapphira, when we start that chapter, had saw that when Barnabas in the previous chapter had given a sum of money to the church that he was well received and favored and God blessed him and they thought, let's do the same thing. The only problem is they were a bit greedy. So they sold a piece of property and then Ananias, the husband, came into the temple before Peter and he said, here we want to give you this as a gift to the church because we sold this property. The Holy Spirit prompted Peter, I love this, I love it. He prompted Peter and Peter said, well, is that the entire amount you sold it for? He said, absolutely, that's every dime. And immediately God struck him down dead. That's pretty powerful stuff, folks. See, I'm not sure I believe that today. Well, you should, it's in the Word. And so then a little while later, a few hours later, says that the young men carried his body out. A few hours later, his wife, Sapphira, came in, said the same thing. Peter asked her again, is this the time or not? Absolutely, that's all of it. And again, the same thing happened. The Holy Spirit struck her down dead and they carried her out. So on the basis of what had just happened, when people begin to see the righteousness, the holiness... The purity that resides in the Holy Ghost. Oh, come on, friend, hear me. I'm not preaching the clothesline today. I'm not telling you what you can and can't do. But I'm telling you, we still serve a holy and a righteous God. And it's time for the church to remember that. Love the way you're shouting now. You see, in that context, the disciples were given boldness because they saw God had their back. Oh, you need to understand that principle. When you're standing in a hostile environment, when you need to know that the Holy Spirit is with you, God's got your back. David said it, fear not for I am with thee. 
That's what the word says. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Oh, comes on someone, get Psalm 23 in your heart this morning. So in this context, they were empowered, they were emboldened, and they were preaching the word of God every day in the houses and in the temple and in the synagogues. And the Bible says that the Sanhedrin, which was the religious ruling body, became very upset with them because they continued to preach the word of God and they'd already been told not to do that. Acts chapter 4, they said, don't do this anymore. Continued to do it. They refused to stop. They refused to do what the religious folks of the day were telling them to do. Come on now. Someone needs to hear me. In our cultural setting, the religious folks of the day are telling us all things are permissible. There is no holiness or righteousness or standard in the church anymore. When that happens, it's time for believers to stand up and say, we know the word of God and we're not going to compromise. We're not going to bow or bend as the Hebrews told the king long ago. So we see in Acts chapter 5, this is happening. And so once again, the Sanhedrin, the religious folks, call Peter and John back before them. And they're going to kill them. They've decided to end their lives, put a stop to this nonsense. And then the Bible says Gamaliel, one of the Sanhedrin, stood up and said, we can't deny a notable miracle has occurred. I mean, a man was healed, great things are happening. How about if we just warn them again? And tell them not to preach in his name. So you can pick it up in Acts chapter 5, verse 40 through 42. The Sanhedrin, they agreed with him. And when they called the apostles and beaten them. When they had called the apostles and beaten them. They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let him go. So they, who the apostles, Peter and John, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Oh, folks, did you hear that? It says they called him in and they beat him. And when they let him go, Peter and John went out rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Oh, someone ought to get that in your spirit. Quit having a pity party because somebody at work doesn't like you because you're a Christian. Quit moaning and groaning because a family member is at odds with your faith. It's time to rejoice when the world persecutes the church. Why? Because persecution is the greatest sign of your allegiance to the cross of Jesus Christ. If someone opposes you, they're not opposing you, they're opposing God in you. But if your life is easy, if you just roll along, nobody ever says anything about you, it's time to check your faith and come back to the cross. Because that cross is an affront to this culture. And we need to understand persecution is normal when we're living for Jesus Christ and it's an indicator of the God alive within us. Recent events in the public arena make us very much aware of the fact that believers are being targeted and persecuted. Kim Davis in Kentucky, the court clerk who is jailed. Aaron and Melissa Klein, who were fined $135,000 in the state of Oregon and had to close their bakery because they wouldn't make a cake for a homosexual couple. Miss Stutzman, the florist who refused to serve a gay wedding. Even our Attorney General, Loretta Lynch, has said if anyone speaks against Islam, she's going to prosecute him to the full extent of the law. Well, let me take a stand here and now. There is only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. 
It is not through Muhammad. It is not through Allah. It is through Jesus Christ and Him alone. It is not through Buddha. It is through Jesus Christ and Him alone. It's not through the 10,000 gods of Hinduism. It's through Jesus Christ and Him alone. It is not through the gods of animism. It is through Jesus Christ and Him alone. There is only one way to the Father, one path, one truth, one life, and that's in Him. And it's time the church grew a backbone and said that. You know, between my house and the church, there's a Buddhist temple, there's an Islamic mosque, and there's a tarot card reader. As I drove in this morning, God said, you need to start praying for light to penetrate the darkness. You need to start praying for truth to penetrate the falsehood. Oh, come on, church. People aren't there because they want to be. They're there because they're deceived and they don't know there's another answer or a better way. And it rests on the shoulders of you and me to take that answer to them. There is a better way and his name is Jesus. Persecution is normal in the church of Jesus Christ. It's what Christians face in a fallen world. Matter of fact, I hate to say it this way, but I'm going to say it this way. It's what Jesus promised to you and me. John 16, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you have peace in the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I like that. I like the way he ends it. You're going to have some trouble. You're going to face some difficulty. Everybody who knows you isn't going to love you and like you. Some will oppose you and persecute you, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Oh, come on. That's what you need to get in your spirit so that when you're in that hard place, so that when you're facing that opposition, so that when someone's talking bad about you and speaking lies towards you and deriding and ridiculing for your faith, you can smile and say, I'm going to be happy because I know the end. He has overcome the world. When you read John chapters 15 and 16, Jesus is praying for you and me. And it makes it clear that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. I'm breathing the oxygen that's in our atmosphere. I'm walking on the soil that's a part of our planet. I live in a house that was built by man and wear clothes that some man in Bangladesh probably made for me. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And because we are not of the world, there is persecution and opposition against us. Do you realize this Jesus that we follow was killed as a state criminal? Did you realize that? So many times we think it was all religion. No, it was, it was Rome that pronounced the death sentence on him. It wasn't religion. He was a state criminal and was executed. In the history of Christian persecution... It's often secondary issues, not the gospel, that bring the persecution. Seldom will you hear someone say, because you believe in Jesus, we're going to enforce this rule or law. We're going to persecute you. No, it's it's a secondary issue. It's biblical moral values you're derided for and persecuted because of. It's in the church today, a tax-exempt status that the IRS at one point will come after. Be assured of it. Let me tell you something. If you give to the church... So you can get a deduction on your 1040, you're given for the wrong reason. 
one day that deduction is going to go away and you got to give because you believe in advancing the kingdom of God and because you believe when I give into the kingdom, when I honor the promises of the Father, when I bring my tithe and my offering, when I bring the first fruits of my substance and the first fruits of my increase, when I do what God's commanded me to do, then God commands a blessing over my house. God commands a blessing over my life and God declares when I obey him, it opens up every promise that he's given to me. It doesn't matter whether I get a tax deduction or not. Oh, hear me, friend. It's time to recognize we obey and God blesses. But if we don't obey, don't be holding out there for the blessing of God. What am I saying? I'm saying don't come talking to me about your finances if you aren't bringing your tithe and offering to the storehouse. That's kind of hard, pastor. You're persecuting me this morning. No, I'm telling you the truth. If you want the blessing of God on your finances, on your checkbook, then you need to do what God's told you to do. It's really that simple. And when you do, you'll find your 90% goes further than the 100%. Why? Because of the blessing of God that's on your life. I don't know how I got off on that, but somebody needed to hear it. I promise that wasn't a part of the notes. But for what it's worth, take it. So what I'm saying to you, I'm saying to you, don't play the victim this morning. Persecution is normal for the church of Jesus Christ. I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what culture says. No matter what society says, no matter what lies may be spoken about me, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm determined to tune into him and not turn to the left or to the right. Listen, God hasn't called us to somehow make this world perfect. For those of you who think that if we have a strong enough church, and if we do things the way it's supposed to be done, then someday Jesus is just going to come down and whoosh, all this nonsense is gone. You got the wrong theology. He hadn't called us to make the world perfect. He's called us to point to the one who will at one point make the world perfect. He's called us to point to Jesus Christ. Number three, remember to use your democratic rights. Acts chapter 22, Paul was in Jerusalem. He was preaching in the temple. The Jews got really upset. Matter of fact, so much so that when he started talking about Jesus being the only way that he had died for the sins and they actually killed him, the Bible says in Acts 22 that those who were listening, the Jews listening, become very irritated. They begin tearing their clothes and throwing dust up in the air and shouting, kill him, kill him, kill him. And the Romans stepped in to save him. Well, the Romans then took him out of that arena of the temple back to where he could be beaten, flogged is what it said, questioning under scourging is what the King James says. So he could be beaten and then released. And when the centurion was binding his arms behind him, preparing to beat him, Paul said, by the way, is it lawful for you to beat a Roman citizen who's uncondemned? See, he used his democratic right. You and I in the church today need to understand we are citizens of the United States of America, and we do still have rights as believers. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with using our democratic rights. When the centurion who was binding Paul heard that, he went to his superior, and his superior came back and he said, you need to be careful, this man says he's a Roman. The centurion came back and he said to Paul, are you in fact a Roman? Paul said, yes, I was born a Roman. I have that right. I have citizenship. And I will not allow you to abuse my rights as a citizen of Rome to appease these religious folks. 
Oh, come on, somebody needs to grab that. It's time in the workplace, in the marketplace, that we stand up and say, I am a citizen, and you will not abuse the right of my citizenship to further your own agenda. I love the way you're shouting now. I believe that in this day and in this age, we need godly men and women who will stand up and say, I'm going to exercise my democratic rights. I'm going to run for office. The only way to change our culture is to change who's running our culture. Change who's influencing our culture. I'm so thankful Tina Pate, who's back here on my right this morning, said, I'm going to run for a county office. We need Christians on the school board. We need Christians on the city council. We need Christians in county government. We need Christians at the state house and at the, at the national level. We need believers who will stand up and say, God has called me to make a difference in my culture by running for an elected office. God has called me to be someone who will make a difference. Paul tells us, excuse me, getting ahead of myself. We need to understand that's the way God changes cultures, by using believers in every part of that culture. Many of you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You've heard the name anyway. Don't know him personally. He died in 1944. 1945, pardon me. He was a Lutheran pastor who was in the pulpit during the time of Hitler's rise to power in Germany and subsequently through World War II. He was arrested in 1944, executed on April the 9th, 1945, just days before the Allies freed the prison where he was at. Bonhoeffer said these words. First, they came for the communist, but I wasn't a communist, so I didn't speak out. Then they came for the socialists and the trade unions, but I was neither, so I didn't speak out. Then they came for the Jews, but I wasn't a Jew, so I didn't speak out. And when they came for me, there was no one left to speak out. Previous to that statement, he made this one. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. I told you a few weeks ago that in this culture, silence is treason. We need to get that in our spirit and understand. God has called us to be witnesses in the marketplace. To speak out and declare the wonderful things of God. Martin Luther King says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Church, the last time I checked, you and I are the light of the world. So the only way to turn the culture is by the light of Jesus Christ. Edmund Burke in the 18th century made this statement. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. For good men to do nothing. What did Jesus say about all this? Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. He said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the question is, how am I going to let my light shine tomorrow? How am I going to let my light shine next week? How am I going to let my light shine the entirety of this year? I believe it's time for the church to be bold in the marketplace and let the light of Jesus Christ radiate from us to a darkened world. Because darkness cannot overcome darkness. Only light can do that. John eight twelve. he spoke to his disciples saying, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. See, when you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he chases out the darkness. 
And he brings the light of life. When we begin to live and walk in that light, he begins to illuminate those around us with the power of the living God. So we need to exercise our democratic rights as believers. We're not here to create a utopia, a perfect world. Rather, we are here to bring the light of Jesus Christ to a dark and fallen world. To a world that's lost. Number four, remember to trust the Lord, not human circumstances. What did the writer of Proverbs say in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He what? He shall direct your paths. You see, there's never been a set of circumstances that the Christian can't trust God through and for. And listen, one step further, nothing you're encountering today but what someone else has already walked down that path. So you need to understand, if those who went before me stood faithful in the Word of God and the power of God and saw deliverance and the power of God exercised in their life, I can too. There's never been a circumstance that's outside of the power of God when we choose to trust Him. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this of Jesus. He endured, he endured the cross for the joy set before him. You see, we understand we go through tough things because there's a better day coming. Oh, come on, tears come in the night, but joy comes in the morning. Rejoicing comes with the break of day. It may be dark where you're at right now. Before you leave this room, get filled up with the light of Jesus and start chasing the darkness. Driving out the devil. We can trust him. We can trust him because he has proved trustworthy through the ages. Years ago, I was in Bangladesh. And if you don't know, Bangladesh is one of the largest Muslim nations of the world. And in one particular service, they brought in a young man who really couldn't even walk. They had to help him in. He was beaten and still scabs all over his face. You could tell he had broken bones in his ribs. Couldn't walk by himself. I said, what's this guy's story? They said, his name is Stephen. He just converted from Islam to Christianity, and his family did that to him. Beat him within an inch of his life and then threw him out on the street. He was picked up and cared for by the church because that's what the church does. Let me say it again. He was picked up and cared for by the church because that's what the church does. Come on, folks. The church isn't Sunday morning from 1030 to 12. It's 24-7, Monday through Sunday, believing that God puts people in our path that we can influence for the positive and show compassion and mercy and grace into their lives. He was picked up and cared for for the church because that's what the church does. He hadn't been saved very long, just a couple of days. But someone had read this scripture to him. And for some reason, it really resonated in his heart. And when I went to speak to him through an interpreter, this is what he said to me. Though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. For this temporary circumstance is not my future circumstance through Jesus Christ. Don't hear me, folks. Broken bones will mend and heal, and there is power in the name of Jesus. You can stand for him and declare this light affliction is just for a moment because there is a far more eternal weight of glory waiting for me. It's time for the church to quit running from trouble and run to the power of God. Understand he is more than able. 
He is more than able. He is more than able. Number five, remember that everything that we have comes because of the grace of God. John said it this way in verse one, chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Oh, folks, I'm here to tell you, I don't want to be one of those who are counting the laws to see what I've kept and what I've broken. I want to be one of those who run to the throne, who say, by the grace of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, I am who I am. By the grace of Jesus Christ, my sins are forgiven. My past is washed away. I know and I understand. He's made me a new person and I'm a new man and I'm not going back to rule keeping. I'm pressing forward in grace and in mercy. Everything we have. Matter of fact, anything short of hell should cause us to throw a party. Come on, anything short of hell is reason for you and I to dance and sing. Come on, anything short of hell is reason for us to celebrate every time we come into this place. I know it was cold when you walked in this morning. Some of you still may be cold. I understand that. I understand it's Florida and 26 degrees is not the normal. But listen to me. I was in Chile years ago, high in the Andes Mountains, preaching a crusade. And it was a little old bitty church, probably not even as big as our platform. Tiny place, packed full of believers. They had one little old wood stove that sat at the back. Didn't hardly give out enough heat to heat one person, let alone a packed house. Walked in that first night and I said to the pastor, it's a little chilly in here, isn't it? He said, oh, don't worry about it. When the saints get here, they're going to begin worshiping God. The Holy Spirit's going to flow, and this place will get hot. Oh, come on, church. This place ought to be hot this morning. Not because of what's out there, but because what's in here, the power of the Holy Ghost flowing in and through your life warms you up. Everything we have is because of the grace of God. Everything we have. What caused Paul and Silas to sing in the prison after they'd been beaten? Their hands and feet were in stocks and bonds, and they began to sing in the praises of God. What caused them? Because they knew, my Redeemer liveth, and I will see him on the latter day. They understood they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for his name, and they were going to rejoice. So come on, church. Everything we have is through the grace of God, and because of the grace of God, you can endure anything that comes your way. He is more than able. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 12? I think it's verse 9. When he said, His grace is sufficient for me. For in my weakness, His strength is displayed. Everything comes through the grace of God. Tom and musicians, please come back. Number six, very quickly. Remember to rest in Christ's victory. See, so often our minds get twisted. Our thought process gets out of line with the will of God. We need to understand that Christ has already won. He's already overcome. He is the conqueror. He is triumphant. He is ruling and reigning. And one day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. We got to rest in his victory. We got to understand it's not my struggle. It's his and he's already won. All I have to do is stand in his victory. I love the way Paul wrote it. The last book he wrote before being executed by the Romans. Interesting, another preacher executed by the state. Isn't that interesting? He said it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For I know in whom I have believed. I know in whom I have believed. 
And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed, committed to him against that day. My question this morning is, do you know in whom you have believed? Do you understand he is victorious? He is over all and in all. Do you understand upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it? I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed. My life, my future, my eternity, that which I have committed unto him against that day. People look around at a culture and they say it's, it's over. We've lost. The church has lost. I've got news from you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And you need to stand up on your hind legs and rebuke the devil and say, get thee behind me because the church has not lost, nor will it ever lose as long as we are looking to Jesus Christ. He is the victor. He is the champion. He is the one who is more than able. Every age since the cross has has had its own way to express its sinful depravity, to attack God. But not a one of those ages, this one included, will ever succeed, will ever do anything greater than the crucifixion. You see, they took the son of the living God. They took the man who knew no sin. They took the one who only did good. And they nailed him to a Roman cross. And they said, now that he's dead, this nonsense is going to stop. Now that we've killed him, things will go back to normal. But the good news, my friend, is that the one who they killed, he said, I'm not going to stay dead. I've got a surprise for you. Because on Sunday morning, when Mary ran to the tomb, the angel said, he is not here. He is risen. Why seek ye the living among the dead? Oh, come on, church. We rest in Christ's victory. Nothing we face is greater than his crucifixion. But his victory always comes through his resurrection. Oh, I'm so glad today that Christ that is in me is my hope for glory and eternity. The Christ that is in me is my strength to go on when somebody's persecuting me or lying about me or trying to derail me. Oh, come on, church. It's time to get it in your spirit. They can't do anything more than they've already done. And he has overcome the world. Stand your feet with me this morning, please. Thank you for listening to audio from Christian Heritage Church, located in Tallahassee, Florida. Feel free to give copies of this message to others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Christian Heritage Church, please visit us online at chctoday.com. 